Hey guys, you're listening to the Camera Therapy Podcast. I'm Damien. And I'm Aline. And today we are talking about... What are we talking about? I don't even remember. We're talking about 2020 and cameras. There we go. We're talking about the cameras of 2020. A lot came out. A lot of them were amazing. Every camera that came out was pretty much a Ferrari. Some of them were super hot, literally. Exactly. So we're going to talk about the super hot fire cameras of 2020. Anyway, let's get into it. Now, this episode, depending on when you're listening to it, it might be dated. um, But I think it's still worth talking about. And I think it's worth just exploring, you know, how far cameras have come and what they are right now. And if you're trying to look for a good solid DSLR camera or even a good solid full frame DSLR camera, it's a really good time to get into it. Um, and we're, we're, today we're speaking solely from the perspective of filmmakers. So we're, a lot of the cameras that are here, they have great photo features, but we're not talking about photo. So pretty much everything that we're kind of, the perspective that we're coming from with everything is going to be video. Um, but a lot of these cameras, they do have great features with photo as well. All right. So what camera do you think we should start with? Just before we even get into the camera, I also want to say, I could go into even more cameras than what we're talking about today, but for the purpose of this podcast episode, I want to focus on the big releases that happened in the mirrorless space, because there's definitely things we could look into, like the actual dedicated camcorders, but I don't think that's what the this podcast should really get into. As for what we should start with, I think we should start with our first love i think both of us loved canon way early on in our series so i think we should pay some homage to that and give it some respect okay i completely agree and sorry if you guys want to know what cameras we're talking about today today we're going to be talking about the canon r5 and r6 the panasonic s5 the sony a7s3 of course and then the fuji xt4 those are the cameras we're going to be kind of running down on today running down on (laughs) uh we're going to be talking about today so yeah let's get right into it we're kind of going to categorize the r5 and the r6 together just because they're both essentially ones like if you guys know anything about past canon cameras there was like the 5d mark 3 5d mark 4 and then there was like the canon 6d so you had your your high-end Canon full-frame camera, and then you had your entry-level Canon full-frame camera. So essentially, we're just going to be talking about both of them, making some comparisons. So if you're really just trying to decide which Canon camera should I get, we'll kind of clear that up a bit today and give you our opinion. And uh, one thing I want to ask you is, because I left Canon a long time ago, and I'm really out of touch with the mirrorless space, does Canon take my older lenses like if I still have some lenses lying around, because I do, um, can I use those older Canon lenses on these new mirrorless bodies from Canon? Yes. So essentially they have an adapter. A lot of the time they sell this adapter. It's an RF to EF mount adapter. So the EF mount is the original Canon mount. And then the RF mount is the new Canon mount for their near, for their new mirrorless line. So essentially um, you can adapt your old ef mount lenses to the new rf mount uh canon bodies and no issues there like it's a it's a flawless adapter and we can kind of use all the lenses features autofocus and everything yes if you're using the canon one then from everything i've seen it's it's pretty reliable if you start using like 
sigma or stuff like that that's when you start running into issues with your autofocus and stuff and just compatibility with lenses and stuff like that i have a lot of points here for this camera in particular i want to make it short but still make it informative so the one reason why if you guys are trying to decide between these cameras the one thing that separates canon from the rest of the cameras we're going to talk about today except for fuji uh, is going to be its gorgeous colors um, and uh, it's easy to edit footage and the skin tones are great so that is always i'm sure for you aline it's the same same thing but canon has beautiful color science so right out of camera it looks amazing it looks professional assuming that you know how to how to use the camera uh, to a certain degree um, you can get some really natural, amazing looking colors right out of camera. That's what I loved when I started on Canon. Um, I didn't even have a full frame camera. I had like their mid range camera and I really just loved the natural colors that came out of that camera. And it was just easy to make my footage look really good. Yeah. It's very beginner friendly. I find for, especially for Canon, because out of, I would say out of all of the camera systems, if you're just jumping right into it. From a usability standpoint, Canon takes the cake every time. You're not going to be jumping through menus the way you do with all the other cameras. And even to some extent, Fuji is a little bit more complicated with the menus because they give you so many options. If we're doing a head-to-head -head comparison, Canon is definitely 100% on usability. So the one thing that I was looking forward to with this camera when they first announced it was that it shoots 4K60. In the past years, Canon has been releasing a lot of subpar camera specs when it came to video it's like videographers were like we want a solid video camera from canon and it's, it's like unless you bought like the 5dx mark 3 or the 5dx mark 2 then you you'd always get like 1080 60 and then like 4k 24 with crop like a crop mode of it and all this so everyone was just kind of pissed off at canon when it came to video but finally when they announced this camera they say oh the R5 actually shoots 8K, which I find extremely excessive. And then the, the R6 shoots 4K at 60 frames per second. So my two cents is that this is great, but Canon shot themselves in the foot because they dropped this camera with those specs. And the, can, the camera upon release and even till now has some serious issues with overheating. And for me, because of what I shoot, to give you guys some context, I am a wedding videographer. I cannot have a camera start overheating on me in 30 minutes and then I turn it off, try to turn it back on, and I can't film. So that's a big no for me. Even this camera, it's one of the more expensive. Out of all the cameras we're talking about today, the two most expensive is the Canon cameras I'm mentioning, or the R5, sorry, and then the A7S III. So... For me, just for the price and the lack of reliability is the reason, was honestly the deal breaker for me when it came to Canon. And I'll say that right from the beginning. So that's the bad. There, there may be more bad, but that's like the bad that's like a deal breaker for me. Before we go in deeper than that, I just wanted to ask you, uh, I'm sure a lot of people know what things like 4K and 8K mean in resolution because that's a really common marketing term people use for TVs and stuff. But... When we're talking about 4K60, um, what's really the benefit of having that versus just a 4K30 or 24 camera for people? 4K60 
essentially the 60 just means how many frames per second you're shooting at. So if you look at different images, um, if something's 4K 24, it looks like it's like when you watch a movie uh, when it has that kind of cinematic feel to it where it's not like super fluid. Um, 40, 4K 30 would be like if you're watching a TV sitcom and it's more a little bit more fluid. It doesn't look cinematic, but it doesn't look super fluid like real life. And then 4K 60 is when it looks like real life and the movements look if you look, you know, off your camera in real life and then you look at your camera, it would almost look the same. So the reason why I shoot everything in 4K 60 is because at a wedding, I don't know exactly what I want to slow down, what I want to speed up, that kind of thing. So I shoot everything at 4K 60 so that in post, like when I'm editing, um, I can manipulate clips to, to make them 24 or make them 30. And like if you shoot 4K 60, you can kind of go backwards and turn your clips into 4K 30 or 4K 24. If you shoot in 4K 24 you're not going to be able to make your clips in slow motion and all that kind of stuff. So does that, does that kind of explain it? Yeah, definitely. I think it's, I think that makes a lot of sense, especially because people want to deliver things in 4k these days. And if that's your option and your camera doesn't do the 60 part, then you know, all you know, right away that this is going to limit you in many ways. Yeah. Yeah, so both the both these cameras have uh, five-axis image image stabilization in body, which is great because depending on what type of shooter you are, if you like to shoot handheld, then this would be a great camera. The camera also has a solid amount of weight to it. It's not like super massive, but it has a good enough weight to it that even if you're shooting handheld and you have a nice beefy lens on it, it would be easier a bit easier to keep stable just in your hands. Um, so I know a lot of people are more attached to their gimbals these days but me i'm still someone who loves to shoot handheld so i thought this was cool honestly a lot of the they checked off a lot of boxes for me and i thought this camera was gonna be the camera for me but the overheating thing is the only reason why i just can't pull the trigger on it i guess if i'm trying to pick between because there's two models for the r5 and 6 and i'm just getting into canon is there a better option between the two or can i what should I really use to make my judgment when I'm picking between the R5 and R6 if I'm if I'm sold on getting Canon? So the R6 has a dual SD card slot and they're both UHS-2. So those ca those memory card the one thing you have to think about when you're buying a camera is the accessories. How much are the battery? How much is the battery? How much are the lenses? And then how much are the attachments? One of them being the SD cards. So in this case the R6 has dual SD card slots. So this, this is the lower range, the entry level full frame camera that we're talking about from Canon. So it has dual SD card slots and they're both UHS-2 cards, which are still pretty affordable. The problem with the R5 for me is that it has dual SD card slots, but one of them is UHS-2 SD and the other one is CFS, CF Express. CF cards are more ideal if you're doing photography. It's kind of like if you're taking a picture and you hear the shutter go like when it sounds like a machine gun you would want a cf express card for that so that you could literally hold the button down for like a minute and it just keeps going keeps going keeps going and that would be ideal if you were doing like animal photography or something like taking pictures of animals or like moments you really can't miss but we're not doing photography at least 
anyone who's listening to this is not interested in photography. So in that case, I would say it's not super necessary for a CFS. The only other time I would say get a CFS car is if you're shooting 8K. So I lied. If you're shooting 8K, then you would need that CF Express card. But the so CF- even with a UG, sorry, even with a UHS two, the 8K is a little too much for that, eh? I would say so. Yeah. Okay. Um, I haven't tried it myself, but just based on the specs um, and just from what I've like the research that I've done, um, most people who are shooting 8K are trying to use the the CF Express card. Yeah, it's definitely got the higher read read and write speeds. Yeah, and these cards are not cheap. Like I saw a guy selling one used the other day, and he was selling it for four fifty, and this was a six hundred dollar card, and this was nothing special. It was just like a Sandisk CFS CF Express card, and it was six hundred dollars for just one card. How was, big was that? I think the card. Oh man, I can't remember. I think it was like a one terabyte. Wow, I know hard drives that are cheaper than that, and they're solid state. Exactly. So we're talking about just a memory card here, guys. That's a lot of money. You got to think about, you know, this is, you know, that right now this is like, I think it's like a $4,000 body. I'm not going to be too hung up on price, guys, because prices will change maybe when you listen to this. But I think it's like a $4,000 body. So when you factor in batteries and then CF cards and all that stuff, it's going to get really expensive really quickly. The R5 has a slightly better screen, so the back screen that you use to look at your footage while you're filming. This is important because if you're trying to pull focus, like you're trying to do focusing or look at your zebras, zebras is essentially like a little tool on your camera to see your exposure. And then focus peaking is when you have like these lines on things that are in focus. Uh, in your shot so you can tell what's in focus and what's not so if you have a better screen it kind of helps you a bit more if if a camera doesn't have a very great screen so a lot of cameras like a lot of sony's older cameras didn't have great screens especially if you're outside so people would get external monitors but in this case the r5 has a very great screen and so does the r6 the r5 screen is slightly better It has more dots on it. It has 5.76 million dots. And then the R6 has 3.76 million. So there is a difference. Do I think it's a deal breaker? Definitely not. Um, The the R6 still has a very nice screen, but the R5 is a bit better. Uh, Both of them have focus peaking and zebra features. Uh, The R5 shoots 8K and then the R6, the R5 can shoot up to 8K and then the R6 can shoot up to 4K. Um, they both have overheating issues, by the way. So if you're in a situation where you can't redo shots and things have to be done same day and you don't have retakes, this is why I wouldn't recommend this camera for you. The one thing I would like to mention that's a big difference, and usually with Canon, they always make like an entry-level full-frame camera, and then they have one that has like all the bells and whistles. So the entry-level in this case is is the R6, and then the bells and whistles camera is the R5. So one of the bigger difference is the build quality. The R5 is more durable, kind of like the 5D series from before. And then the R6 kind of mirrors the 60 series from before, like a couple years ago. Both of them have those high-end features that I'm kind of talking about, with the exception of a few. 
Um, and then the, uh, this, the R6 kind of has just a lower build quality. Both have the latest Canon dual pixel autofocus. So that's the eye detection focus, that kind of thing. So if you're doing video and you really like you're shooting on a gimbal, that kind of thing, you need good autofocus. Both these cameras have amazing, amazing, amazing autofocus. Um, both have very good battery life. So you'll get at least like two hours of shooting. If you're shooting 8K, it's not going to be two hours, but, um, you still, if you're just kind of shooting normal, like 4K or anything 1080, you'll get a solid amount of life out of the batteries. Canon's always been good when it came to batteries, I would say, in recent memory, I would say. And both cameras have USB-C, so you can charge your camera or have it running through a battery, uh, battery power bank. So if you go on like Amazon, you can get a battery power bank for like, I don't know, like 30 bucks maybe or something like that. And, yeah, uh, that's one of my most favorite features about these new mirrorless cameras. Yes, and a lot of them do have this feature, so it's it's really great um, just being able to do that. It is a little, it adds a little bit to your camera, but if you have your camera stationary on a tripod, um, it honestly doesn't matter. And I guess that to finish that one up, um, I guess we can really, I would what I would want to ask you is, who is this camera for then? Because I know you wouldn't go for this one, but it is designed for a certain type of shooter. Yes, yeah, so if I had to recommend this camera to anybody, I would recommend the R5. If you're going to get the R5, I would say for very specific reasons, get the R5. Personally, me, I think the R5 is more for professionals who are getting it maybe for that 8K if they really, really need it. And if they want to kind of use it as a photo and a video camera, I, but honestly, honestly speaking from all the research I've done and just kind of weighing out pros and cons, I would go for the R6. Being able to shoot 4K60 is enough for me. If you're trying to shoot 8K, that means you're going to need a computer that can handle 8K. And I think anyone who's just starting out or anyone who's even, even if you've, even if you're a seasoned videographer and you've been doing it for a couple of years, I still don't think the R5 is an option that really makes complete sense i just think for your camera is not going to just make you a better videographer and i think the r6 is a great camera uh just with all the specs that are already there i'm not a person who needs to have the top of the line camera to make things to make this kind of stuff that i want to make so when it comes down to it i think for the price so just to give you some perspective the R5 and R6, there's like a $1,500 difference between these cameras. So you really need to decide if that $1,500 difference is worth you spending that much more money. And then you also got to factor in the memory, that CF, CF Express card that I mentioned, right? Um, are you able to afford that? That's another like five, at least $500 you're going to be spending on a CF, CF Express card. So if I had to weigh out pros and cons and give you guys my two cents, I would say go for the R6. Um, I think it's a great camera. I think the only thing that's holding it back for me is the whole overheating issue. But there's been a lot of videos, a lot of articles about workarounds with that. Um, and then also Canon's been talking about updating the firmware and stuff like that. It's really up in the air right now, even in 2021. But I would say if they do correct this issue, then I think it's definitely... Um, very, very much a camera that I would go for. But as of right now, because of that overheating issue, I'm going to have to say no. Cool. So right. I think that wraps up the R5 and 6 pretty well. I yes. think I want to go into my favorite camera from 2020. 
and that is the Fujifilm X-T4. Um, quick disclaimer, even though I love Fujifilm, I did not upgrade to the Fujifilm X-T4, and I'll kind of explain that by the end of all of what I have to say about the camera. Um, if you guys were following our earlier episodes, you may remember I have the Fujifilm X-T3, um, which I sold for for a lot of reasons, but I have it again, um, and I'm loving every time I shoot on it. Um, I didn't have any complaints as a Fujifilm shooter from the X-T3, but this is just me. Um, I know many people wanted some features which they introduced in the X-T4, and I'll go over some of those features now. Um, mainly, the big differences you're going to see the highlight features for the Fujifilm X-T4, um, if you're just looking at an overall, is this camera finally features IBIS. Now, IBIS stands for in-body image stabilization, and how that practically helps you is if you're shooting handheld or if you're on a gimbal um, and your conditions aren't as ideal, it helps smooth out some of your camera movements. Now, the problem with IBIS is that they're not all designed great. Um, if you see IBIS from camera to camera, some camera companies do it really well, especially the ones that are micro four-thirds. If you look at an Olympus camera, if you look at a Panasonic camera, their IBIS is very smooth. Uh, and part of that just comes down to physics. They have a smaller sensor, so what's happening inside the camera is it's physically moving as you're moving it. And what it's doing is it's evening out those little hand movements that you've got and camera shakes. When you have a full frame sensor or even a crop sensor, compared to a smaller micro four-thirds sensor, you're not going to have the ability to move that as smoothly or as quickly just, just because it's bigger. So in the case of the Fujifilm X-T4, the IBIS is okay, it's not amazing. Um, and I'm also someone who's very critical of how the IBIS looks. Because I shoot things very intentionally and I rarely shoot things that are happening in the moment. So event filmography and coverage is not my forte. And I think that's really where IBIS is better suited in most cases. But for my, for my taste, most IBIS cameras don't have a pleasing look to them. I much prefer someone using an external stabilizer than an internal one. Um, so the Fujifilm IBIS is great, but not, not for the kind of shooting I do, which is a lot more pre-planned and crafted for a specific purpose. Now, if you're getting this camera because you are a YouTuber or you're someone who just likes to record family moments, what you're going to enjoy is the three-way articulating screen. Uh, this is a feature that has never been on a higher-end Fujifilm camera. You have seen these on the lower-end models, but the X-T line is I would say their their XT line is, if not a flagship, it's definitely one of their mainstream lines. And the three-way articulating screen is something that most shooters enjoy, especially the ones that like to get different angles. If they're out in a concert, if you're 
running around with your family, you can get different angles and flip your screen so you can always see what you're doing. If you're filming yourself and talking to the camera, you can flip that screen right around and see what your frame looks like. So that's been a great feature that people enjoyed. Um, but it's always been a little controversial for some people. People who tout themselves as quote-unquote professionals, they're like, I don't want a flippy screen, that thing's just going to break and it looks like a toy. But these are just opinions that come down to usability. I personally don't mind a flipping screen at all. But again, that's more of an opinion thing. But here are some more, I would say, objective reasons why I did not upgrade to the Fujifilm X-T4. And that's because they removed some of the ports. Or what they did is they they doubled up on the usability of a USB-C port. So the X-T3 had a both a microphone jack and a headphone jack. But on the X-T4, what you have is a head, uh, microphone jack, but no headphone jack. However, you can actually use a USB-C to headphone jack converter and get that usability out of it. Now, most people would see that as not such a big deal, mainly because I don't think a lot of people even use headphones to monitor their in-camera audio. But if you are some, someone like that, that's going to bother you. Um, the reason that bothers me is because not only do I monitor my audio in camera sometimes, but what I mainly use that USB-C port for is for charging my camera. Like we mentioned earlier, cameras these days have the ability to charge through the USB-C port while it's turned on. And the Fujifilm X-T4 is the same in that regard. All you have to do is get a power bank that has a PD rating which stands for power delivery. Um, not all of them are created that way. But if, you're, if your power bank has a PD rating, this camera will use that power bank to not only charge the internal battery, but also keep it running while you're recording. So if I'm someone who likes to have all of my ports do one thing, now I have one less option and I have to choose between sticking in the headphone dongle or charging my battery and I think that's a that's a step backwards for me for a Fujifilm camera it doesn't feel like an upgrade it feels like a compromise um, and another little nifty feature these are like I would say these are bells and whistles that I really currently enjoy on my X-T3 that they took out on the X-T4 is you can actually remove that port door so instead of having it dangle in front of you and the cables getting in the way, because the way that I shoot, I've got, um, I've got an HDMI cable sticking out of it, I've got a microphone cable sticking out of it, I've got my USB-C charger sticking out of it. And the ability to just remove that door because it's a removable door is really appreciated because it's not getting in the way of the cables because some of those cables can be really thick. They could be pointed in, a, in the opposite direction of that door. That means with the X-T4, now I have to deal with dangling port doors again. And that to me is just one of those small things that if I'm upgrading to a camera that's gonna cost me more money, I don't want my usability experience to go down in quality. I just want it to either stay the same or go up. Now, why they did that, there's rumors going around that they're making the X-T line not their flagship line anymore and they're going to focus all of their flagships onto a different their XH line. These are just rumors right now whether that actually happens or not is to be seen, but it makes sense if they're going to start crippling their camera in some small ways, 
they're probably focusing their feet. All right, so the next camera we're going to talk about is the Panasonic S5. Panasonic S5 is Panasonic's full frame camera. Now, this has kind of been like a thing where people have been talking about Panasonic doing a camera like this for a long time, and they finally did it. Never thought the day would come, but it finally came, and I'm super happy about it. Essentially, the Panasonic S5 is, if the GH5 and the GH5S had a baby with kind of the S1H as like the stepdad, this is what you would get. Weird terminology, but that's the best way I can explain it to you. It's essentially a culmination of all Panasonic's recent cameras in one, if you ask me. So, and it's very affordable. This camera is very affordable. It's like half the price. You could pretty much get two S5s probably for the price of a Canon R5. I'm pretty sure, I'm, I know I'm for sure pretty accurate on that as of right now. Who knows what will happen in coming years, but as of right now, you can do that. So the reason why I love the Panasonic camera is because it does have, in recent time, so that the GH5's colors weren't amazing. It had like a tint of yellow, which I absolutely hated, and a tint of green. I had the worst time trying to color grade with that camera. Once I got the GH5S, um, it was an upgrade because it had great low light. So the difference between the GH5 and GH5S is that the GH5S just has amazing low light capability. Um, and then the GH5 had internal image stabilization in the body. So you, it was kind of a trade-off depending on which camera you got. For me, I cared more about great colors and low light capability. So I, went, I switched over to the GH5S and honestly, I still love that camera and I still use it right now. So the GH5S had great colors. The S5 has great colors as well. It's not Canon good, but I would argue that it's around the same or at least it's getting there. The S5 has image stabilization in the body. So now you see why I'm saying this is kind of a combination of the GH5 and GH5S because it has like the GH5's image stabilization and then it has the GH5S's um, low light capability and colors. It also packs the same amazing video features that Panasonic has always been known for. So Panasonic has always had, you know, focus peaking before it was cool. They've always had zebras and Canon has those features, but it's always been in like their cinema line cameras, which are not cheap. You always get these you get these cinema line features in this little body camera, which is amazing. And another thing is Panasonic cameras have, a lot of cameras have these capabilities too, but this camera has an amazing feature where you can pretty much customize every single button. Like you can, it's just, you can customize the camera to how you wanna shoot. And this has always been something that's mattered a lot to me. Uh, switching from Canon to Panasonic, being able to just like move my record button to somewhere else because I have longer fingers was super cool to me. So uh, that's one thing I love about Panasonic and it's not any different with this camera. Um, it is very capable of taking photos. That's all I'm gonna say on the photo side, but it is capable of taking photos. And from what I've seen so far, the photos look really nice. Uh, when people told me the GH5 could take photos, I saw it and I'm like, not feeling it. But uh, the, the S5, the photos that I've seen come out of it look very sharp and very nice. With this camera, you can shoot 4K 60, no overheating issue. The camera does pretty much stop recording at 30 minutes to avoid overheating issues. But um, from a lot of reviews I've watched and just a lot of research I've done, um, you could shoot, con 
like you could shoot for 30 minutes and shoot for another 30 minutes right after that and you're not going to have any overheating issues and this is at 10 bit 422 what does that mean essentially 10 bit 422 without me going super into it just essentially means you have a lot more wiggle room when it comes to color grading you have a lot more information when it comes to your colors which just means if you're color grading your colors are not going to fall apart when you start moving dials and stuff like moving your shadows moving your midtones all that you have more wiggle room of what you're capable to do when it comes into color grading that packed with a camera that has some decent low light features and you're not going to have issues this camera is not like sony good when it comes to low light but it's still a very good camera in low light that if you manipulate light and use lighting well then this is a great camera to pair the great thing about the s5 is that it's actually a smaller body compared to the gh5 and gh5s the gh5 and gh5s were like little tanks they weren't that big to begin with but the s5 actually manages to be a lot lighter than both those cameras and its full frame so this camera in size is kind of being compared to the a7s3 i have not been able to hold this camera it came out in september in the middle of the pandemic so i have not been able to touch it yet um, but from everything i've heard it's uh, a lot smaller than the gh5 or gh5s so if you're familiar with those cameras um, you would know that this camera is pretty light uh, or pretty small. This camera is weather sealed, which is nice, just like the GH5S and the GH5. It has two SD card slots. One of them is UHS-2, and then I believe the other one is UHS-1. No CF Express nonsense. It's just two UHS-2 card slots, or one UHS-1, one UHS-2. And then like uh, the Fuji and the Canon you do have the ability to charge with the USB-C uh, like a battery pack and then my love it has a flippy screen which I absolutely love so I'm going to talk about the one negative I have with this camera the one negative I have with this camera is the Leica mount Leica lenses are not cheap even when it comes to Leica if I'm being super honest yes they are sharp lenses but when you buy a Leica lens, you're paying for that name. You're paying for that brand and Leica is not cheap. So I remember I was looking at a 50 millimeter lens for this camera and it was well over two grand. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a lot of money. Now, the good thing about, uh, the good thing is that you have options with this camera. So what you can do is Sigma sells an MC21. Uh, it's essentially an adapter so that they made an adapter it's called the Sigma MC 21 and you can essentially adapt other glass to this camera so in this ideally what I would say if you're thinking about getting this camera I would get this body and then adapt Canon lenses to it Canon glass is it has a high resale value they're very sharp it's very sharp and it's pretty much you have a lot more options with Canon just because their lens lineup is so big at this point and it's relatively a lot cheaper. So that would be my workaround when it comes to lenses. The like amount, I'm not feeling it right now. They, I heard that they might be releasing lenses specifically for this camera body, but as of right now, um, I'm not feeling the whole Leica Sigma thing going on. Um, so if you're gonna put, if you're trying to figure out what lenses do I do with this camera, I would just adapt Canon glass. That's my personal opinion. Yeah. Plus, you can get really really good canon lenses used yeah or you could adapt for a much cheaper price yeah and you can also adapt uh, sigma lenses to it too just like the standard sigma art line uh that's what right. I would try which are which for those who don't know um sigma is a third-party brand that makes lenses both 
Incanon Mount, Nikon Mount, and some other popular mounts as well. Yeah, and they also have a pretty good resale value as well. So one thing I want to talk about is the battery. The battery life on this camera is good. Um, and the weird thing is, is that these cam these batteries, if you're coming from a GH5 or a GH5S, you can actually use these new batteries in your GH5 or GH5S. But here's the stupid part. You can't use your GH5 or GH5S batteries in the S5. So compatibility issue I, d I don't understand why you're able to go back but you're not able to go forward if you were able to go forward that would be amazing because i have like 20 friggin gh5s batteries but can't use them in my s5 so you will have to buy new batteries honestly speaking to kind of conclude with this camera i think this is the best all-around camera from i'll say from my opinion when i when i researched all these cameras um, and if I had to buy any of these cameras, I'm going to go with this camera just because it's the best all around camera. And then the price, the price, it's literally half the price of the a7S III, half the price of the R5. And it still packs a lot of the features that we're talking about in both those cameras, aside from the 8K and the super amazing low light capability that you would get with the a7S III. Um, but it's still a very, very, very good camera, and the colors are still very nice on this camera. And not to mention, the autofocus on the A7S III is killer. Yes, and I'll say this too. Say if you're shooting with the S5 and you're using an adapter, I forgot to mention this earlier, if you're using the Sigma MC21 adapter or any adapter for that matter with the S5, you are not going to have great autofocus. So take with take with that what you will the reason why you don't hear a, a lot of videographers talking about this camera is because a lot of people rely heavily on autofocus me when i started shooting and i know this goes for Aline too when he started shooting as well we were always using manual focus so the new generation they're more spoiled where they get a lot of great autofocus with their cameras we didn't have that back in the day so that's just not something i've I rely on at all and I love using manual focus just because I love being able to pull focus to certain things um, and I, I literally never use autofocus so if you're using autofocus this may not be the best camera um, as Panasonic's cameras have never been great with autofocus and this is kind of just a trade-off that you get when you're kind of dealing with Panasonic so yeah that would be and not even sorry uh not even to feel like i just want to point out if you're someone who's shooting and you're new to this and autofocus is how you've gotten into this this isn't to say that you're doing it wrong or you're like you're not supposed to use autofocus but just objectively speaking here as we're talking about these cameras you do pay a heavy premium for that high-end autofocus experience so if we're talking about someone who's kind of like cost efficient you're getting pretty much the best bang for your buck out of the panasonic pretty much based on everything we said like i would say if autofocus is your super like super important to you for how you shoot then i wouldn't get this camera i'll just save you the disappointment um, but if you can kind of accept that as a flaw right from the jump then i would say this is a great option and i'll kind of leave it at that let's get into the a7s3 a camera that people have been waiting for like what four plus years or something and to give you guys some context sorry we're going off on a tangent here the r series so sony has the 
A7 series, the A7R series, and then the A7S. The A7 series is kind of like their base model cameras, um, or sorry, their entry-level full-frame cameras. Um, the A7R series is more of their specialized photography cameras, and then their A7S series is their specialized video cameras. So it's like they gave us an amazing entry-level camera that kind of does good photo and good video which was the a7 III which was an amazing camera but the problem with the a7 III is that it only shooted shoot up to 4k 30 i think but no 4k 60. so that was kind of people wanted that 4k 60 and they wanted that beyond amazing low light capability and they didn't get that with the a7 III well they got really good low light but people you know people are greedy out here they want they want that a7s III so they weren't getting it and then the a7 R was a great amazing photo camera with like a 45 megapixel sensor amazing but then we're still waiting for that beautiful a7s3 so finally got it in 2019 2020 2020 yeah it was 2020 <laughs> was it was it was that it was that year that we got this finally so something something amazing did happen and Honestly, I'm, I'm just going to jump right into some of the things that people love about the A7 line and specifically this camera. Um, with A7S III, the, the low light performance somehow has gotten even better than the A7S II. It doesn't take you long to realize when people throw up some of their test footage. I saw a video where a guy was lighting his whole video with just car headlights and I could not for the life of me find any noise in that video. And it's just amazing how much Sony can push technology. And the reason I get very excited about it, even though I'm not a Sony shooter, um, the main reason for me is that it's a very expensive system and I can't justify shooting on that. But when I see what the technology can do when it's pushed this far, it's just amazing to me. And I love seeing how people can get creative in those in those situations when they don't have the best lighting or they don't have the best uh, gimbal or stabilization support because this camera also has some pretty decent in-body stabilization not the best but it it is in there one thing i wanted to mention because you were mentioning before so aline's talking about how amazing the low light is in this camera the reason why this camera is able to have such amazing low light features is because of the sensor. So the sensor is a 12 megapixel sensor. All the other cameras we've pretty much spoken about today are 24 megapixel sensors for the most part, with the exception of the R5. So essentially 24 megapixels, imagine you have a square and you have 24 little squares within that big square. That's a 24 megapixel sensor. Now imagine you have the A7S III, it's a square, but you only have 12 bigger squares in that same square. The idea is, is that when light, essentially you go outside and the sun needs to hit your sensor, okay? So if the sensor is has 24 little squares, it's gonna be harder for the sun to hit your sensor um, and I guess give you more information. Whereas if you're, if you have, a sensor that has 12 bigger squares, it's way easier for light to hit your sensor. So that's the reason why, um, and Aline, I'll let you expand on this a little better. I'm I'm not good at explaining technical, technical things. Aline's way better than me. Yeah, I think you got the gist of it there. But basically when you have 
more megapixels, you're introducing, effectively you're introducing more noise into your image just because there are, like Damien said, those t smaller squares and all of those things have to get processed. The less megapixel sensor camera you have, the better it's going to have in its noise performance. And when you have better noise performance, that means you can bump your ISO up higher without seeing that noise. That paired with a, uh, Sony's own technology, because the way a camera processes noise is a little bit different for each camera, makes the Sony a7S III very noise-free, for lack of a better term. The one thing that really blew my mind, um, we were talking about recording 10-bit uh, earlier, but if I'm not mistaken, this camera can do 16-bit externally. Is that yes. correct? Yes, so this camera does, it has a max bit rate of 600 megabits per second, so that's a lot of information. You got to have a computer that can handle that kind of information, but if you do, that's that's amazing. It shoots 10-bit 422, so just like the, the S5, and then it also shoots 16-bit. If you have an external recorded connected um, to your A7S III, and it has a full HDMI port, if you guys know about that, I won't go too deep into external recorders, but for anyone that does want to use an external recorder and get the most out of this camera, it does do 16-bit, which is amazing. Just to give people some context on the scale of what 16-bit means in the video world, there is only less than a handful of cameras in the world that do 16-bit right now. One of them being the Ari Alexa LF, which none of us here are probably shooting on if we're listening to this podcast but 16-bit looks like you're looking through a window if you look at a 16-bit image that's been exposed and created properly that thing looks like real life and that just go that's just because you have so many shades of colors in between when you have 16-bit to work with that things can just look so flawless and most cameras just do 10-bit and not to say 10-bit's not enough it's more than enough for most people but 16-bit is crazy that they're offering it at that price point even though it is an expensive price point you, you what you're getting for that is very luxury i would say and one thing i forgot to mention about this camera just comparing it to the others is this one does shoot 4k 60 with no overheating issues and it shoots 4k 120 that is app 4k 120 would be good if you're trying to do like super slow-mo if you're doing like product like if you're doing a video of say you know if you ever watch like a pop commercial and they're like pouring pop and they need like that texture that kind of thing and they need that super slow mode that's when you would use like 4k 120 so it gives you that ability um and sorry you can shoot 4k 60 for up to an hour so sorry it does have a limit you can shoot 4k 60 to up to an hour that might change with firmware but as of right now that's what i've been seeing sony in the past has not been the greatest when it comes to battery life but in this uh, with this camera the battery life is great it does have a dual sd card slot has a uhs2 and a cf express um, with the high bit rates on this camera of up to 1600 megabits per second and then also you're shooting 10 bit 422 and then 4k 120 that's when i would say you would I think you would need a CF Express card. And then one of the things that also separates this camera, it's not really a deal breaker, but it does have the best viewfinder on the market. So if you're shooting and you look through your viewfinder, 
Uh, for me, whether we're from Canada, so in the winter, sometimes when I'm shooting weddings in the winter, there's a lot of snow on the ground and then it becomes really bright outside and exposing for the snow and then the bride in her white dress, white snow, it becomes a bit difficult. So if you have a really good viewfinder, you can put your eye up to the viewfinder and you're not being distracted with everything else that's around you and you're just seeing what's in your eye cup and you can expose better, focus, um, like make your image focus better, that kind of thing. So depending on where you are and what your situation is with lighting and uh, just characteristics of the environment, I think this is this is kind of a good feature. It also has a flippy screen, which is super cool, um, depending on how you feel about it. But Sony normally didn't do flippy screens before, but they did do it with this camera, and I'm super happy about it. They also offer um, full HD 10-bit 422, 240 frames per second if you want that super smooth slow-mo, which not a whole lot of cameras offer today right now. Yes, and I, f I feel like you might have already touched on this, but the autofocus in this camera is amazing. There's no reason why you should be missing focus on this camera. Coupled with the eye tracking that they have, it's very smooth. And there's people who do crazy tests on it, like stress testing the autofocus when they're jumping in and out of the frame, coming really close and then going far away. Even as far as turning around, because sometimes cameras lose you if they're autofocus software or firmware isn't that strong but the a7s3 has pretty much perfected it i would say there's very little you can do to really trick that autofocus to not work um, if you're someone who likes to get a bit more creative with their focusing you can obviously just turn that off and go back to manual focusing but if you're getting this camera i'm pretty sure your top reasons for this is going to be low light autofocus and then for some people, if they're really into being maximizing the tech in the camera, the 16-bit is probably going to definitely turn some people on. So the one thing I want to say, this is an amazing camera. And yes, it is like top of the line and everybody wants this camera. Everyone's been waiting for this camera. But the main issue for me is the price. This is not a cheap camera. The body itself is almost like $5,000. So it's almost a $5,000 body. And then we have to talk about the lenses. Lenses on Sony are not cheap. G Master Glass, that's that's their line. They're, the high-end line for lenses with Sony is their G Master series. And honestly, if you're buying a full-frame camera, don't put cheap glass in front of your full-frame body. If you're gonna invest, when you have to think about investing into a camera, they say invest in your glass. One, it has a better resale value, and two, you don't put a cheap cheap pair of glasses in front of, I don't even know how to explain this, but essentially you need to have, if you're gonna buy a high-end camera, buy high-end glass for that camera. So G Master lenses are not cheap. They're almost double the price of what you would pay maybe in a Canon equivalent, or at least like $500, $600 more. If you're gonna get lenses for this camera, I would get, because I know Sigma Art, they have, uh, Sony mounted lenses now so that's if I had to buy lenses for this camera I would go with the Sigma art line I don't think Sigma art is weather sealed but I would still go for the for those lenses Sigma art has always been a great option when it comes to third parties and they're very sharp the G master lenses are crazy expensive so yeah 
um the the whole reason and we sound like we love this camera and i do love it like everything about it is amazing uh, my personal deal breaker is sure the price if i'm being realistic no i cannot justify the cost but beyond the price for me i prefer having my workflow streamlined above having the best image possible because to me the best image is the one that i get to actually put out and put out often not the one that i take months crafting and then now and then releasing so for me it's all about getting it right in camera planning my shots um, because i don't work in event coverage i do have the luxury of perfecting my shots and making the most out of the camera i like to shoot on and price wise that's that puts me out of the sony as a justification but also workflow wise with that much with with the high-end specs that sony has i'm gonna have to upgrade my computer as well and that's something i'm not willing to do just yet so workflow is something that if you're just starting out you're not going to be thinking of right away you're going to want to get the best you can afford and then when you get the best you can afford you realize that you didn't budget for your computer and trust me if you're shooting video in any capacity you will have to think about your computer you can't just edit on your little office laptop that you use to process word documents yep and I think, yeah, and I pretty much feel the same way. Workflow is super important to me. Um, and that's kind of why, okay, so you know what? Let's, let's conclude this. I would say if you're shooting event videography, so that's if you're shooting corporate events, like where people are, say, talking on a podium, that kind of thing, like things where you only get one take and only get one shot to get the shot. Um, if you're shooting weddings, that kind of thing, anything where you only get one opportunity to get the shot, the camera I would recommend, hands down, is going to be the S5 for its reliability, the specs that I mentioned, and it's not the greatest camera in low light out of the ones that we spoke about, um, but it is good enough as long as you know what you're doing with the camera. And I'm probably downplaying, like it still has really good low light capability. Um, but yeah, that is hands down the camera that I would recommend. And even for the price, if you have a little bit more wiggle room, then I might go for the X-T4 or even what Aline was saying with the X-T3. But honestly, just my number one camera to recommend uh, for event people who are shooting events and stuff would be the S5. And then anyone who's doing like stuff where you don't have a chance to get retakes or you know reshoots none of that then i would go for the a7s3 honestly speaking if price is not an issue for you i would go with the a7s3 they've got the the just to run it down for people again the s5 and the panasonic s5 and the sony a7s3 are the two cameras on this list that do everything we talked about the best the best in its price range because the Canon R5 and R6, although it's also full frame, they come with a lot of quirks that you're not going to enjoy having to shoot with. The overheating is the biggest issue. If they fix that, it might have been, it might have still been third for me. With the with the overheating issue, you're really the Canon R5 and the the Canon line to me is kind of out of the race for me. If you're someone who enjoys getting 
creative with your looks. Um, that's the Fujifilm X, X-T line and, or any of their cameras right now. The biggest reason you would go for it is because you enjoy what Fujifilm has to offer in their film simulations. You can get the looks they give you in post, kind of, but to really get what they offer in their film simulations, straight out of camera has always been my preferred way of going about it. Even when you shoot their film sims in F-Log, which is their log profile in camera, and then you apply their film simulations in post, it still doesn't look quite as good to my eye as it does straight out of camera. So if you're someone who is a stickler for what your image looks like, I don't really like the Sony look if I'm being honest. I don't like anyone else's look. I would have to shoot all of these cameras in log and do myself do a grade by myself just to get how I like things to look. But with the Fuji, there's just something about it and People, this is this is kind of like going back to how I felt about Canon in my early days where I just couldn't get away from that look and I love how people and how things look in those in in the Fuji camera these days so it does come down to what camera you're going to choose ultimately will break down into price but also your personal preferences and in this day and age, I think the best way you can go about it, because we don't have the luxury of shopping in stores, is look up some test footage from all of these cameras and see which ones look good to you. Because I don't think there's a right or wrong, but I do think what you enjoy shooting on is what you're going to shoot more with. And that's really how you should be making your decisions, is what camera is going to get you to shoot more and shoot better. So... Yeah, I think you said I think you wrapped that up really well. And um honestly, if I if I could really choose, if I if you gave me like $10,000 and I could choose anything I wanted to choose, I would probably go for the A7S3. Um but I can't justify the price of a lot of the the lenses and the situation uh with the body of how much it is. Um I like having a camera that does what I need it to do and that gives me a good workflow. So that's why I have the that's why I want to get the S5, um, but if you can give me any camera, I will go with the A7S III, hands down. I think that wraps it up for this one. If you guys have any questions about, in detail about these cameras, or just any questions based on anything we spoke about earlier, let us know. Um, make sure to follow the podcast if you want to keep up to date with all the episodes that we're going to drop. And if you want to be amazing, leave us a review, give us a like, follow us on Instagram at the camera therapy podcast. And yeah, guys, stay tuned for more.